Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back. For another week, my name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever is the rank of Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. How's it going? All good? Everyone well? Yeah, I mean, most of the country doesn't seem well at the moment, but I'm all right. So that's holding good. Up. Yeah, Sam, I'm right. you holding up? I'm fine, mate. Bit nippy outside as usual now. Uh, well, getting into December, but the advent calendar's out, so reasons to smile. Yeah, absolutely. Ups and downs as you get into December. Mm. Christmas trees have arrived, but uh, yeah, the advent calendars are out, but it is cold. So, you know, here we are. Here we are. Such is life. Such <laughs> is life. Unless you're in Australia. Unless you're in Australia where you get this in the middle of summer. Um, such is life. Um, right. <laughs> Let's talk about the Bundesliga, shall we? And we are going to be joined uh, by our old friend Jasmine Baba, who is a German football consultant today. She's going to be talking us through five of our biggest questions about the chaos that has been unleashed in the Bundesliga so far this season, from managerial changes and sackings uh, to teams outperforming their rank to some of the big guns not quite doing it in the way that they perhaps should. We're going to be looking at everything across the Bundesliga table. But before we get into that, it's time for things we love. And Sam, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'd love to. It's uh, the thing I love this week is Champions League match day six. This is where it gets real for so many teams. There is so much on the line. And it, this this is it, isn't it? This is like the key to the destiny of like a handful of Europe's top clubs here. It's going to decide so much heading into 2022. And by the time you listen to this, you will already know the following. Which of Porto, Milan and Atletico Madrid qualified for the latter stages and who got dumped out of Europe altogether. You'll know which of Real Madrid or Inter Milan topped Group D and avoided a pretty horrific-looking set of top seeds in the round of 16. And you'll know whether or not Ajax went perfect, 6-6, of six, and if Besiktas did the complete and utter opposite, 0 of six, but that's not it. That's not it. That's just Tuesday because Wednesday brings even more fun. You've got Chelsea heading off to St. Petersburg to play in minus 15 degrees weather, knowing that they probably need to beat Zenit to secure top spot. You've got the hilarious mess that is Group G, uh, Lille, Salzburg, Sevilla and Wolfsburg. Uh, that group will be decided. In that group right now, Wolfsburg sit fourth but can still finish first and one point separates each of the four teams evenly. I don't think I've ever seen this. Uh, a little bit further on, Villarreal and Atalanta are tussling for that second knockout berth behind Manchester United in their group. And then, probably the biggest one, the fate of Barcelona will be decided. They have never won in Munich, so now would be a really good time to start bucking some history. Because odds are, they'll need three points against Bayern to stave off Benfica and scoop up that second place in the group. Else, they basically drop down into the Europa League, which is a very alien concept to me. But... A, a pretty clear, obvious reality looming in case they were, well, unless they do something quite special here. Yeah, I mean, look, for me, it's it's all about the madness in, in that group where everybody can qualify. It's just nuts thinking about how you know we're we're talking about in Group G, Wolfsburg, who are currently bottom, can top the group. Uh, Sevilla are third. They're probably favourites to top the group. Uh, Salzburg are second <laughs> and Lille are top. Lille are guaranteed a Europa League spot. Wolfsburg cannot finish in a Europa League spot. You know, they have to finish first, second or fourth. Um, it's just madness, this group. And look, I know it's not any of the massive heavyweights of Europe, but we said at the start that this was the most evenly balanced of the four groups, right? And if you're Sevilla, this is probably as good a group as you could possibly ask for. And yet, They've won one game and that was in match day five. And so this group, I think, is everything for me. I, I don't think I'm going to be watching anything else on that on that final day. It's just all about this. Now I know that there's Barcelona. Um, but for me, I, I'd be very, very surprised if Barcelona qualify for the last 16. Um, this is where all the drama is for me and, and the excitement. And I'm, I'm very, very, very excited for it. Yeah, well, that's just typical you really, isn't it? You know, just to, to dismiss all the elite and just look at all the 
niche stuff beneath it that most people in the world aren't looking at, but there you are in your little box. Look, mate, that's the excitement. All I, all I care about is drama, chaos, football and goals. Um, and, and this group provides them all, I'm afraid. I'm just looking at way. PSG and Man City. See, we're so different. <laughs> Here we are. Well, what's your thing we love then this week, Dean? I love volleys. I just love volleys. There is, is there anything better in football than seeing someone score a volley or scoring a volley yourself? I don't know if there is. It is just it's just brilliant to see and like in the last week we've seen two in the Premier League two completely different types of volley that are both just genius so first there was Bernardo Silva last week it's like a FIFA style volley that you don't really see in real life where the ball comes across to him edge of the box and just smashes it first time as hard as he can into the net uh, with the laces it's just beautiful and then on the flip of that, at the weekend, you see Mason Mount score a volley where Ziek kind of switches play from one side. Mount is just come, approaching the box and he uses his side foot uh, before it bounces to guide it low into the corner. And it's such a hard skill, so hard to execute, made it look so simple. Um, no power behind it at all, just completely completely just guides it in and just uses the weight of the cross to, to get past the keeper. And it just reminded me, like, both goals, like, there's just no better way of scoring. And you think through the years of, like, some of the belters, go back, like, just off the top of my head, I was like, remember that Van Persie one against Cholton that time where he, like, just wallops it I mean it's unbelievable the, the fashion in which he crashed into this ball and hammers it into the roof of the net was ridiculous there was a Paul Scholes one against Aston Villa once upon a time where he smashed it from outside the box I think it came from a corner um, it might have been cleared corner and, it, and he hammered that one home there was the Wayne Rooney one against Newcastle which everyone remembers um, I think he'd what, he'd been chatting to the ref or something hadn't he and then he like, yeah. took out his anger on the ball as he as he volleyed it into the net I mean there's so many and he was just about to be substituted wasn't yeah. it yeah and there's different kinds of volleys as well isn't there it's like my my favorite was always like the flying volley which mark hughes used to um perfect back in the day when i was growing up and i remember like i would in my garden i had a ball on a piece of rope hanging from a tree at a certain height so that i could like do these flying volleys <laughs> in the garden and you just like come <laughs> crashing back down on the side of your body on the floor and i just do it for like hours you know covered in bruises afterwards of course but like just hoping that one day this cross comes over and lands lands on you and you can just first time smash the ball on the swivel straight into the top corner like it's the dream goal so yeah i mean the last week it's, i've just been reminded like these are the perfect moments in football for me. I just love it. There was yeah, another one uh, on on Sunday. There was a Musa Barrow volley in the Bologna Fiorentina so game, which was like quite similar to Bernardo Silva's. To be honest with you, in, was in certain ways, that was yeah, it was it was it was pretty close. <laughs> I mean, I thought Bernardo Silva's would be u- unique or different or or yeah. Something, something we wouldn't see for a while, and then like literally about four days later <laughs> in Italy, Musa Barrow does one. <laughs> it's um, often the way, so though, yeah, isn't it's been, it? It's often the way. It's been, well, I mean, this weekend we saw these these two goals go straight in from corners. Uh, so you wait, you wait all that time, and you get two in one weekend, and you wait all that time for those volleys, and you get three in a week. It, it is kind of the way it happens sometimes, but yeah, yeah, great kicks of the ball. Just like the other week when I was talking about Rodri uh, and Cancelo and Josip Brekelo, just. Just great kicks of the ball. Madness. Clever kicks. Clever yeah. kicks Clever from kicks. all of these players. We like it a lot. Very good. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's nothing better than a volley. A sweetly executed volley up there with football's greatest sights, Dean. On that, and that much, at least, we can agree. Yeah. Um, right, I'm going to move on to mine, which you're going to dislike. Um, I want to talk about Empoli, who um, are 11th in Serie A currently. And I'm going to dislike I it. I just talk. probably won't care. I just want to talk about Empoli's last six games because I was watching Everton versus Arsenal last night and I was was watching Empoli on kind of simultaneously uh, as they played Udinese and that game started beforehand in the last 15 minutes overlapped Um, and Empoli uh, it came up with a stat saying Everton have picked up seven points all season from losing positions which was a Premier League high and I was thinking about it and I was going I'm pretty sure Empoli have done 
that very recently. And I look back at Empoli's last six games. Now, in each of Empoli's last six games, they've gone behind. Uh, to Sassuolo, to Genoa, to Hellas, to Fiorentina, to Torino and to Udinese. They have gone behind. Of those six games, Empoli have won three, drawn two and lost one. And even in the one they lost, they came from behind to equalise only to lose in the 91st minute, which means they've picked up 11 points from losing positions in the last six games, which is more than most teams do in an entire season. Now, this is one thing, right? Some teams have this kind of mentality, this never say die attitude, this ability to strike late and and, and win games. But it's very rare you see this with a newly promoted side, right? This is an Empoli side who came up from Serie B last year um, and who have been sort of put together. And there was a lot, we talked about them with Marco in our start of the season preview and that they were probably, we thought, the best of the promoted sides, but not by a huge amount. He said that they might stay up by the skin of their teeth, but not, no, no, you know, not going to set the world on fire. But there's some really talented players in this side. And their coach is a man called Aurelio Andreazzoli, and he has been coaching for 34 years. He's something of an old hat, uh, 68 years old. And he's been with Empoli sort of on and off for about four years now with a, a brief stint at Genoa in the kind of in the middle of it. But what he's done is he's really instilled this side with this kind of mentality, this this fight back attitude. And I just thought it was a really interesting little quirk that they seem to concede first in almost every game. You'd be a bit confused, I imagine, if you're an Empoli fan. But like, why can't we just go ahead and win games instead of having to fight back from losing positions every single week? But um, as, as a neutral, it makes for incredibly entertaining viewing. Uh, and Empoli are, at the moment, one of the best watches in Serie A. So, shout out Empoli. Uh, really like Pinamonti, who's on loan from Inter Milan. Really like Patrick Cotrone, um, who we saw, obviously, bopping around different clubs, most recently at Wolves uh, in the Premier League and at Fiorentina on loan last year. But yeah, they're, they're just a, a really fun outfit to watch. So I wanted to give a shout out to Empoli and also to break the buck because I thought everyone was going to think I was going to talk about Betis being Barcelona, but you know what? <laughs> Juanmi Jimenez. Juanmi Jimenez yeah. is Ronaldo on nine reborn, and, and that's enough for me. I'll take the plaudit. <laughs> no. okay. uh, Pinamonti's a very good player, and actually, he was he was someone that came to the fore a couple of years ago in the under 20 World Cup, the last one that was held before uh COVID actually uh kind of postponed the next one. Uh Pinamonti and his strike partner, Gianluca Scamaccia. The two of them up front for Italy, they were they were brilliant. Um, Pinamonti scored five or six goals. Scamaccia actually scored zero, but he had like the most outrageous Zlatan-style scissor kick kind of turning goal disallowed stupidly, stupidly. It shouldn't. It should never have been disallowed a goal of that quality. As a pairing, they were excellent. And it's kind of amusing to me, or at least notable, that like this season, they're separate. You know, Scamaccia's over at Sassuolo, but they're both kind of finding their feet at the senior level and they're both really impressing and they're both kind of following the same development track or, or, or kind of like development track which again you don't often see that much usually one sort of takes the lead it's also interesting given we've seen Italy's number nine struggles right in, in recent times to see a couple now coming through obviously Scamaccia as you say but also uh, Raspadori and then mm. Pinamonti as well. There's there's a couple coming through here that there might be of interest, you'd imagine, to Mancini as things start to to turn into well, as as winter turns to summer, turns to winter, turns to a World Cup. Um, you know, these these lads are just about starting to to find their feet at the right time to make a play to see if they mm. could be involved within that squad. Let's, so yeah. Well, let's see if they can make it to the World Cup first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right. That is our things we love this week. After the break, we're going to be joined by Jasmine to talk all things Bundesliga. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we are delighted and honoured to welcome back a friend of the pod, Miss Jasmine Baba, German football consultant, to talk to us about all things Bundesliga. Jasmine, first and foremost, it's so lovely to have you back. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to talk all things Bundesliga. If it ever stops, it's been a wild ride these last couple of weeks in the league. But who can complain? No, absolutely not. Um, Sam, over to you. And you've just got to lay the framework out and then we're going to let Jasmine just go wild on it, basically. 
Sure, yeah. I mean, we've got basically got uh, five big questions for Jasmine, five big Bundesliga questions, because there has been a lot going on recently. Uh, and I'll start with probably the biggest news, which is the um, the old RB Leipzig situation. Uh, what the hell has happened here? Jesse Marsh, uh, not a great couple of months. It kind of leaves Leipzig in mid-table without a manager. There's lots of talk about who could take over next. But can you just take us through this whole thing? Like what has happened? I am, first of all, so happy that you said RB Leipzig and not Dortmund, because I was thinking you were going to go back to the weekend. And, no, we'll do that in ten RB minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, I, as for RB Leipzig, it, it's a weird one. We thought it might not go as well when Jesse Marsh was appointed, um, basically because the style of play RB Leipzig had under Julian Nagelsmann was a lot more possession-based, especially for the last two years. And anyone who knows Jesse Marsh, the kind of news that's been going around about him and when he was first brought in, everyone knows him as a very aggressive, pressing um, RB blueprint manager, which is what RB Leipzig kind of went away from these last two years. So to get the transition period back to the kind of play um, RB like, was going to be quite a big one, especially for someone who maybe doesn't have the biggest experience, only um, under Ralph Wagner and also as Salzburg. It's not the greatest experience when you have to change a whole style of play again. And I think reports are coming out, Jesse Marsh has come back, come after games twice under his short leadership and said, I don't think I'm the right manager. I don't think I can do this. And it turns out he couldn't and either stepped down or was sacked. There were conversations um, because Minslav, who's the director of Leipzig, wanted Jesse Marsh. There was talks of Oliver Glasner, who's now Frankfurt coach, to come in just before that Marsh deal was done. So, yeah, a lot of talks about around RB Leipzig and who they can get they seem to be in quite a bit of trouble for the next few weeks going into the winter break. Yeah, tough one for them. So basically just like a, a tough transition uh, and from possession football, we're back into like high pressing football and maybe no middle ground given and given the stakes at that club are now so high given that they're basically expected to finish in the top three. I guess if you start slow, that's it. Yeah, and I think they might have wanted to give him more time. If Jesse Marsh was um, finding quite a bit of self-confidence issues and not thinking it was the right thing for him and it wasn't the right choice or he couldn't do it, then there's only so far you can go if you're lacking that kind of confidence from yourself and it probably reflected onto the players. I mean, we saw good play from them. They were better against bigger teams. We saw against Dortmund, they beat them. Um, even in the games with PSG and Man City in the Champions League, they were fun, entertaining, they played good football. They just didn't have the same quality as PSG or Man City. There were also some doubts around the transfers he's made. He brought in Andre uh, Silva from Eintracht Frankfurt to Leipzig and it wasn't really a great fit. Um, so there was a a little bit of scrutiny around that as well. I mean, it doesn't like really that make that much though. sense though, does it? Because like Jesse Marsh has been part of like the Red Bull business model since 2015. So he's at New York Red Bulls. Then he goes on to RB Salzburg and he does a couple of years there. And we spoke to him a couple of years ago while he was at Salzburg. And clearly, it wasn't even that long ago, to be honest. And he knew that this was his, this was his job basically when it, when it came about. So he always would have been he would have watched Leipzig every single week. Everybody at Leipzig knew of him. I don't understand how in such a short space of time they've given up on it. Like I I know that like they have fallen quite far off. It just seems strange that it hasn't worked because he was such an integral part of the model. Yeah, and it it is pretty surprising. Actually, everything leading up to Jesse Marsh becoming manager at Leipzig just turned really surprising. I think Mince uh, maybe some of the Red Bull Leipzig lot realized too late because they did want Glasner in and they had sporting director um, Krischer wanted Glasner in. And that was basically the last straw. When they changed from Glasner to Marsh that quickly, 
Crusher just said, right, I'm out. He went to join Eintracht Frankfurt. So they are still without a sporting director on top of all of this. Um, and it's just become very lukewarm, mediocre around the club. And that's the feeling around the club right now that these decisions aren't being taken as seriously. And there's just kind of a bit of a widening gap to what Leipzig want and how they can achieve it after Nagelsmann. I think maybe the strangest thing for me, Jasmine, is that when you're looking at this and going, okay, Leipzig have decided that enough is enough, they're going to pull the trigger, fine. Um, But there doesn't appear to be any obvious candidate to step into the breach. Now, I mean, I know from reading what you've been writing on Twitter that how much they like Matthias Eisler, and obviously you can see that and what he's bringing and what he's doing there at Salzburg is, is incredibly impressive. But when you're looking at that, it'd be very strange if they moved Eisler on again just six months into that tenure, right? And then you're looking at this and going, well, there's no obvious candidate to step in here and uh, and become, you know, the the boss for the, the immediate future. And that's what perhaps makes this the most bizarre for me is that normally when you're looking at the RB model, you're thinking, right, okay, the, the kind of succession belt is already built, right? It, mm-hmm. And that's how, how it's felt for so long. And this time round, it feels like they're a little bit in a mess. Yeah, and I agree with you on that one. I personally still think a lot of names are going around, mainly because there isn't a clear one, as you said. Um, The only reason I think Geisler will be moving on because he only had six months under Liefering, Salzburg's farm team, where they normally go before moving up to Salzburg, which everyone didn't think that was particularly going to happen. So he's already done that six-month jump and... I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another six-month jump into the Leipzig one because they really like Matthias Jaisler. Um, and also he's a little bit more talented in terms of solutions in possession, which is probably an easier fix to bring him into Leipzig. But I think the problem goes slightly um, further when they were probably relying on both Svensson and this point to be Salzburg manager and Salzburg manager for the last year or so to move him on. But because both Spencer went, ah, oh, Mines is free. I'm going to go to Mines, have fun. That's probably why they won't look at Spencer anymore into bringing him in and why there is such a problem that has now arisen. Um, both Spencer has been touted for this free Leipzig job a lot, but I think he's happy at Mines. Um, his contract is a problem because the contract goes to 2025. Mines have already said, no, we don't want to engage in this so why would they yeah that's yeah why would they he's doing a really good job at mine um considering how far (laughs) deep into it they were when he came in um and yeah it, it seems the biggest problem is i don't see them giving someone else a long term permanent manager role when they really like manias geisler because if they give someone another three year contract and they really do well with them, they'll probably have to get let Yaisla go and they don't want to do that. No, absolutely not. Um and and look, considering how how impressive Salzburg has been, um, you know, you, you can understand why as well. Um I think uh, is is one that we're going to be obviously looking at and, and and kind of tracking as it goes on, but it does feel like like we're in no real rush to appoint uh, their successor, uh, and that makes things kind of interesting. Sam, just to round off the Leipzig chat, Jesse Marsh did at least do one good thing, right? He got Christopher and Kunku firing like a world class player. Absolutely, and I think that's the style he was used to. And Kunku has been great for ages. I think it's just maybe. As well, because the rest of the team haven't been as good, it's really lifted up Christopher and Kunku to perform, outperform everyone else. We said last year they didn't have a proper number nine that could help them, and the kind of role of that, the goals were shared, including Kunku, and now it's lacking on the other side. That's just the Christopher and Kunku show. I'm kind of surprised he's still there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if more people go from him, especially from England. He feels like he'd fit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's move on to Dortmund since you were so um, so eager to oh, talk about, talking about him. <laughs> yeah. So Dortmund under Marco Rosa. Talk us through the, the good and the bad. And you, the phrase there would be the ugly, but actually Marco Rosa is a handsome man, so that doesn't really fit. No, but he thinks that ref was ugly. 
Oh, oh, no more ref talk, please. Uh, <laughs> I think two solid days of seeing the Jude Bellingham clip has made me tired for any referee, any scandals. German football has been scandalous and we're only a couple of months in. So, or half a year in. Um, so, Dortmund, the good. Uh, I don't have that much good about Dortmund. Uh, they were one point behind Bayern coming into their Classica. And for some people, that would seem good. But at this stage, especially in the last couple of years, Bayern have been behind, just Dortmund even more behind. It kind of shows how weak the league has been apart from the Dortmund and Bayern. Um, well, so far, we, we can see now that Dortmund lost against Bayern, that um, by Leverkusen's catching up, and there's teams like Freiburg and Hoffenheim who look stronger than usual. Who's still not the strongest as we had Wolfsburg and Leipzig last season and even Eintracht Frankfurt, but still the same. So they've capitalized on that. However, the way they've been capitalizing on that has not been very good. Um, Dortmund have a host of obvious problems that they haven't seemed to nail down or even attempt to. Um, we've had, uh, if you just watch any Dortmund game, they will try and play out from the back, go to the wing, and then get stuck there. And that's where the majority of either goals conceded or even shots allowed come from. They seem to get isolated on the wing, get run over, lose the ball, and uh, a really efficient counterattack will then happen by the opposing team. This is just one of their really strong problems. and. Their inability to fix these problems and re- over-reliance on their um, counter-press and counter-attack in that high intensity. Again, Marco Rosa is an ex-Salzburg RB blueprint manager. Um, their over-reliance on that one style has been draining to the team, even though they were kind of playing it under Erdin Terzic and Favre as well. And they've kind of just lost the group. They're already not in the Champions League um, round of 16. They've moved down to the Europa League. And now there's a four-point gap between them and Bayern. Um, But you could say at times they've looked lucky to be even four points behind Bayern. They weren't good against Stuttgart. You could see glaring problems when they won against Wolfsburg. It's a lot nearer when you take it to numbers as well. So, yeah, if if it wasn't for the stars like Jude Bellingham and Erling Haaland, this Dortmund team would be even further behind. Yeah, I mean, they do feel reliant. I think this is probably the the obvious kind of marker, right? In that we're, we're talking about a, a Dortmund side that are heavily reliant on one of the best number nines in the world. And his absence during that Champions League group stage proved decisive in the end with, with how it all panned out. And then that game against Sporting where he wasn't able to influence the game and, and Sporting took them apart, to be perfectly honest, was, you know, a, a kind of moment where you look at it and go, oh, that's a little bit brutal. Now, the flip side of that is that, you know, with with certain decisions not going, you know, obviously the wrong way at the weekend, Dortmund could be two points clear. And and I think they're kind of looking at that and going, yes, that's partly because Bayern have at times looked invincible and at times looked bizarrely weird. Um, but, you know, on the whole, they have been reliant, yes, on Bellingham, on, on Haaland, on the rest, but it's still getting them through. Now, uh, <laughs> I know that that's not necessarily a long-term sustainable solution. And I'm I'm aware that there are problems. And look, when we had you on before the season started, you were concerned about Rose's possession solutions, right? And the fact that they were looking-ish kind of a little bit off. But they're in the Europa League now. Now, Barcelona might well be there as well. But on the whole, you look at this kind of Europa League group and you go, you know, Dortmund could go on and win that. And that's silverware. Now, it's not the silverware they're after and it's not the Champions League last 16 spot they're after, but it's silverware. Um, and, and especially with players of this calibre, of this ilk, you're looking at Dortmund going, OK, we can just bully teams. Now, whether that is able to continue next year is is, is maybe a different question. But that over-reliance on a player as good as Holland, as good as Bellingham, as good as Royce, you know, you're, you're kind of relying on 
a selection of players. Most teams have a, a you know a, a couple or who they'll rely on, right? It, it, it's not. It doesn't seem as bad as perhaps maybe it's being made out. But I, I do appreciate that underlying statistics aren't great. Um, and actually, it's some of their gameplay they just haven't looked very good. Um, I mean, yeah, Europa League is something they could win, but you also have to take the good with the bad. Like. Um, they've suffered their biggest defeat in Champions League football. Um, and it's the fact that they haven't been absolutely overrunning teams. They're 4-3 to Leverkusen. They concede, they concede all the time. The only team that I can pull out from my head that they haven't conceded against is Cohn, um, which was a really random one. I thought Cohn would push them to a draw. It's that you can kind of pretend everything's better than it is and their over-reliance yeah. is fine but it's the fact that none of these improvements are actually being made it's you the fact that you can spot the same mistakes that they're making and like structural setups and realizing that their pivot players get drawn out to outer space it's all of these things that have been happening for the last eight weeks and have not been addressed um if you look at things like XGA and XG and if you compare them to the differences between them and then cross-reference them to goals on target um, over an XG of 0.3, so like higher quality chances, which is what kind of been doing. I won't bore you with the science of it, but no, no. Um, you get a clearer example than XG alone. And Bayern are completely off the scale and then Dortmund are kind of performing to a third best level along with RB Leipzig, which is a bit random, but when you take in when you take in the amount um, RB Leipzig actually create, it does make a little bit of sense. And also people like mine who don't concede that many um, big chances, but they're up there along with Dortmund. So it, it's just the fact that they're not improving or taking on the obvious requirements that they need. And it's the fact that they would rather blame the referee for their troubles, which we've had for three games now, when really, even if a decision went their way in the, in, against Bayern, it would still probably be a draw. It's, it, it's, it's just a little bit like last step for them with how many good players they've got. Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair enough. Big winter, big uh, winter uh, break ahead then, huh? Yeah. To work. <laughs> they've got Besiktas, so um, I, I feel like they're going to feel like everything's fixed with beating Besiktas and then get beat by Bochum on Saturday. Well, they, and they, well then they have, they have, they have growth further after that, right? Who are maybe the worst side I've ever seen. Um, and, and then they play a struggling <laughs> herter. So, I mean, it's not, there, there are a couple of games here where things might look all right, you know, and, and that's, that's the, that's the thing, right? If, if we're saying that this is all the way it is and, and when, when Dortmund play well and when they play fine and with Hall and back, it's all going to be, sunshine and roses for three games when they play three sides who they probably on paper should be. Um, and then it comes to the, the actual kind of big games again. And, and suddenly the, the problems that they've glossed over aren't, aren't quite as, um, quite as easy to gloss over anymore. But it's also the fact that it, it's like losing to Freiburg and um, going close. There's been so many close calls and if you're losing to the top four teams around you, you can't then suddenly be so surprised like, you've lost in this manner to Bayern. It, it, they weren't very good against Bayern, just Bayern were also not good. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I probably With the state of the league at the moment, I probably have them third or second again, but it, it's just going to be never, um, was it always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> well, look, I mean, maybe they'll beat Besiktas, but let's hope they don't um, take too many cues from that because everyone beats Besiktas. They are... Absolutely terrible. That's you've you've made the crucial error, Sam. You've made the crucial error of saying that, despite the fact that by the time this podcast is released, this game will have happened, and we know for <laughs> a fact that because you said that now, 
Dortmund are going to lose tonight. We did exactly the same with Everton on Monday. I know. Right. Should we go on some positives, Jasmine? Because there have been yes. some some fun sides, to Sam. And and, and well, you talked a bit about them there, but uh, the overperforming teams are the ones that, that we're kind of interested in in this third point. And I mean, starting things off is that Freiburg side under, under Christian Strike, who are well, a delight at times, really. Um, and, you know, it's sometimes a little bit agricultural, sure, but on the whole, a, a real delight. Yeah, I mean, it proves what a long-term man can do with one club and get them with the resources that they kind of have and push them better than the teams that you'd expect to be out there. Um, it's He's been there from 1995, um, with the under in 19s and then as co-trainer and um, assistant coach and he has a good idea of the club the ins and out the game conception game philosophy and what you've gotten is a really good well-organized side normally 343 or 3421 um just very structured and very well well drilled in their positioning and structure which um I'm going to just go back to Dortmund. Then one of the problems when I analyze Dortmund is that their players and their structure just loses quite easily. Freiburg are the complete opposite of that. Um, they're just good runners. They always build up in this three plus one and it creates a good circulation structure and it's easier to pass the ball around, which is why they look so good too. Um, yeah, he's doing a great job there. And especially with the new stadium, this is the time to push for Europe, actually push for the Europa League and especially its well-named Europa Park. So, yeah, the, the, the work he's doing at that club is amazing. <laughs> Setting the uh, precedence there nice and early. I like it. Set your aspirations by naming your stadium to where you want to be. That's that's the good mm. stuff. Champions League yeah. Cottage. Have you known that? Tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Title winner park. Love it. Um, okay, so Jasmine, looking at this this Freiburg side, not to be too dismissive of the of the quality and obviously a, a real team here in terms of a more than some of its parts, but not that many names are going to be jumping out to people. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the important players in this team that we may not know about? So first, you've got Griffo. Griffo is, I'm pretty sure right now, is their top scorer. Um, he's a killer on set pieces. He's uh, really good at linking up play in that kind of ball circulation I've already talked about. Um, he's one of the shining stars of that Freiburg team. And then you've got Hula, which is their striker. Um, again, holds up play really well, really works that team. And then you've got um, Demerovic, who's a quality talent. I think and it, it's a shame that his name doesn't come up more because I think he goes quite unnoticed in some circles in this Freiburg team. And then you've got something we call in Germany a joker, um, Nils Peterson, basically a club legend. Um, he's a super sub. Basically, joker means when you come off the bench in school and he is the the king joker in the Bundesliga for that. So even though they don't have the biggest talents, as you've seen with... Leipzig, uh, Dortmund, Bayern. They've got a well-rounded team and that works really well for them. But they do have those shining talents and they're not afraid to really search in their under-23s teams to bring them up. Yeah, I mean, it's a really kind of an interesting kind of squad. And and, and what you look at here, and, and Sam mentioned it there, it's kind of more than the sum of its parts in, in that way. That that Griefer-Hurler link-up is, is lovely and it, it has been so kind of effective. Um, I've liked what I've seen of Max Egerstein. Like, you know, it was a, re a kind of odd move, I suppose, moving away from, from Werder and obviously the kind of family relations there and, and all that, that was going on. But he seems to have started in nicely. I I, I like him. I, I've watched a fair bit of Freiburg over the last couple of weeks and he always stands out. He's, he's very, very calm and composed on the ball and he, he seems to be doing a very solid job there in the middle for someone who's still relatively young. Yeah, I think that's one of the, that's one of the biggest and best and smartest signings that they've done. Obviously, Werder Bremen basically had a, a garage sale, a car boot sale, sale of all yeah. of their players. Yeah, fire sale. Um, of all their players, they just wanted the money. And um, I was a bit surprised, yeah, and he's quite young. But he fed, that is what we call really great recruitment. Um, even though 
he would have had other clubs looking at him and it's probably not the cheapest and not the youngest that you would normally search for when you're Freiburg. But it's someone with a lot of talent who really has helped that full circulation. Um, and yeah, it, it, it wasn't that surprising he moved given on how many people were moving away from Werder Bremen in time. But yeah. very, very clever by. It feels like it. What about, um, what about Mainz, Jasmine? Jack talks about Mainz all the time, but I've struggled to believe anything he says nowadays. So can, can you tell us of the glory of Mainz, please? We'll get it from an expert. Yes, Mainz. I do like Mainz. Um, as I said, they were in quite a lot of trouble before both Svensson came in from Leithering. Um, basically went on a huge winning run, but saw them. I can't remember what they placed last season in the end, but from fighting relegation to, I think, mid-table, higher mid-table. Um, and he's not stopped. We thought we'd see like a kind of drop back into the new season. And some of their results haven't been the greatest. However, especially at the start of the season when they had a massive COVID outbreak, um, Bo Svensson has kept his calm, kept his cool. Um, they basically are a 5-3-2 more defensive team with a mid-high deep block press. Um, they've got high intensity within their formation. Again, RB Blueprint, Leafering, Bo Svensson, all ties together. Um, and the greatest thing about that team is they're very well organized in defense they're one of the hardest teams to score against, especially they don't let many big chance go their way, which we're seeing in those kind of metrics. They're higher than everyone else in the like mid table pattern and even beat the stronger teams in defense. Um, their strong counter attacks really suit their players like Oni Wissa and Burkhart, which I think Burkhart is maybe their top scorer. They might be drawing. Yeah. Um, but there's always room for improvement with them. Um, but it, it, again, another really well, really fun story about a team really laying down the groundwork for the future. Um, and that seems to be mines at the moment. And that's why they gave those fence in such a big contract. They have their room for improvements when they build up from, from the back, same as any other manager that's come from the RB system. But he's, seems to be doing it again on a shoestring hardly any money into players and he's getting them down really good in their style of play it was an interesting one obviously because he came in in january and it all looked a little bit dark in in so many ways and then they lost their top scorer in john philippe mateta to, to palace on that long-term loan deal and it was almost like everyone else had given up aside from Bo Svensson, right? And and he then turned all these fortunes around and, and took them. I think they finished 12th in the end. They were they were very, very comfortably clear of it. And then in the summer, he lost Robin Kyson, who we like a lot, and he's lots of fun, um, and felt a bit kind of talismanic over the course of that second half of last season. And I was wondering how they were going to kind of, well, deal with that, considering they didn't really bring... Manny in, um, but but players have, have stepped up for Svensson, which I think is is kind of massive. And and you're looking at this and going, okay, you know, wherever, wherever he seems to lose, he seems to bring this squad back together and and be able to build something. And and that's a, an amazing talent for a manager. You know, I spoke about Empoli at the start of this podcast, and you know that that manager kind of spirit that they seems to be able to bring you know a team together that kind of never say die attitude. And minds have a real element of this and obviously a, a history of bringing through wonderful coaches and it looks like we're seeing another one here and I have no doubt that, you know, as you said at the start, that the Leipzig would, would be very interested if they could get that done. But I, I don't see why Svensson would leave. He's doing a good job. He knows his stock is high um, and that's a massive pressure role at Leipzig to step into right now uh, and an uncomfortable one. I think he can wait for, for, for bigger and better things, if I'm honest. Surely the, the timeline, if you go to mines, it's Dortmund next. We have to skip out Leipzig. <laughs> it's Dortmund next. And then um, Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> and then Liverpool. Um, but yeah, it, it, all of Bo Svensson's qualities are kind of like that. And it, it suits the play of football as well. Because when you're having to counterattack and be that aggressive in doing so, you need that kind of um, personality and that kind of attitude. It, it goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sam, what's the next question? Uh, okay, we've got two left. Uh, one's positive. 
one's negative. What should we go for? Let's go for the Let's negative. Let's go end for the negative and end on the pause. Yeah. yeah. And and this is, a, this is a shame. It's not something I like to see, but I wanted to ask you about Stuttgart's struggle this season. Uh, now, they've had, obviously, recently the return of Silas. who has changed his name. Uh, but we love, we love him. We love him all the same. Um, but Stuttgart... I don't love him as much because he had the best He had the best name in football and it turns out it wasn't a real name. It's really annoying. Uh, <laughs> I guess so, I guess so. But apart, apart from his return, things haven't been particularly rosy at Stuttgart this season. They did very well last season, finishing in or 10th or 11th, and they're down in 15th at the moment. It hasn't quite gone to plan. And... Jasmine, when you were tweeting about potential coaches for RB Leipzig, it was actually one of the names that was sort of semi-referenced, I guess, was Pellegrino Matarazzo, who is the coach of Stuttgart. So obviously a good coach, good team, good sporting director, good scouting network, some good players. Uh, they're not doing so well. What's happened? Um, their play has been fine. Uh, they've been finding good solutions tactically. Their gameplay is fine. They're well organized again, but they, they've just been really, really barraged by bad luck. Um, obviously, as you said, Silas was banned for three months because of the name difficulties. Um, but even without him, so without him, their tank has struggled, um, especially. In, if he's in good condition, he's one of the quickest, um, most technically gifted wingers. He creates shots for himself and also others, and he's like their biggest threat. But uh, the rest, it's been like injuries mostly. They've lost so many people. Their main um, striker, Sasa Kalicic, is still out. He was really, really, um, really, really uh, an important figure for them last season. Um, so their main source of goals has gone and their XG has tumbled, and, but their defense is still good. So those are the kind of main problems, but they've also had like mini COVID outbreaks and then none, and then it's injuries again. And it's just been this circle that keeps on going. I think they'll be fine this season. I don't think we'll, they'll reach the heights that everyone wanted them to. I don't think Pellegrino is that interested in going to Leipzig. I could be wrong, but he really likes his Stuttgart project. And I think he would, unless he feels like there's no way for him to improve, he would then go. But I feel like there still is. There's still business to do. Um, but as, as we said, the injuries starting the season, it was uh, Kalicic, uh, Silas, Mangala, Kulabali. Um, still now, they've got Kempfell, Anton, uh, Marmouche, and Furek, as well as Kalicic. So it's been a drain for them. And yet they're still playing better than some of the teams down in the fight with them. We look at Hertha, we look at Augsburg, who's very hit and miss, normally miss, but more hit. And then you've got um, Greater Furt, and there's someone else in the... And Arminia Bielefeld, there we go. Um, so despite that, it's... I think it's just they've got the bad end and I'm sure things will start looking up to them once those players are back in. Yeah, I mean, it's never a great look when you're sent, your centre-back's your top scorer. Um, in fact, two centre-backs, I'm not <laughs> mistaken, are their joint top scorers in Maripanas and, and Kempf. So, it, you know, it's one of those where you look at it and go, ooh, this is not great. But, I mean, if you're missing your main goal threats in in Silas and, of course, Sasha Kalajic, then you, you're going to lack goals in, in that area. And, look, I suppose it's easy to say this kind of as looking at top sides and looking at sides with with massive depth structures, right? That it's hard to find players to to fill those gaps when you are working on smaller budgets and lower down tables. Those kind of things are going to hit you harder. That's kind of a natural natural progression, right? So hopefully over the course of the second half of the season, as these injury lists kind of abate, you hope, um, and, and and kind of with the suspensions all done and dusted, things slightly start to look up for, for Stuttgart. I do hope it does happen, but Kalajic has been plagued by injuries since he's moved, hasn't he, over from Austria? Like, this is not his only injury, and he's picked up a couple of bad ones. He's picked up a couple of niggles. He never seems to be able to string more than kind of three months together before that happens. But Stilas was, I mean, he, he got a ban, but he served that during an injury. He'd torn his ACL. So hopefully that's just the one and done. And we're good. Uh, but with Kalajic, it's a difficult one to build around because it's it's starting to look like he's injury prone. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
hopefully with January coming up, they can find a better solution to him. He should be able to. Um, big strikers, especially in the league below, are, they're, they're just everywhere. I think nearly every <laughs> team has at least two strikers over 191 centimetres. It's a very big striker <laughs> league in the second of this league. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on yeah. it. Right, let's get to our last question, Sam. Go on, let's finish on the, the last high. I, I spun this as a high, but like, I don't think Wolfsburg fans would consider this a high. Uh, I'm just mostly saying, Jasmine, um, have your have your moment because when we had you on in preseason uh, for our little segment and we, we talked about some of the key storylines, you were very skeptical about Wolfsburg's managerial appointment, and it did not take long for the Wolfsburg front office to wholeheartedly agree with you. And Martin Bommel was fired. They brought in a new man. They got a bit of a new manager bounce and now they've kind of returned to earth again. So it's been a bit of a circus, hasn't it? But first of all, well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it was just so evident. I think only, what was it, two weeks after that podcast, they got booted out of the DFB Pokal for one too many. Some <laughs> yeah, and it was just, it was, I think it was kind of a circus from that point. And then I started to be a bit worried because they went on that winning winning, winning run. run against newly promoted teams and Leipzig, which didn't make any sense. But And then from then, it just tumbled down. And yeah, I was proven right. They brought in Florian Kofel, which I think is a good, a good manager to sign. It's a little bit troublesome, but only because... The way they had to bring him in and to bring him to speed is hard for a coach. And that's why we had seen these kind of not the greatest results, not the worst results somewhere in the middle. He can be a good fit His from his philosophy. He's a mix of Glasner and what Van Bommel kind of wanted to be. He coaches with the right intensity. We've already had Maxi Arnold say that in, uh, in an interview. Um, but he had such a tight, tight, like, time frame to get in especially after the Verde Bremen trouble a lot of his staff isn't with him he's using Wolfsburg staff he's using their assistant coaches their analysts what have you because all of his I think everyone expected him not to get a job so quickly like he was going to take a year off and his staff went into other jobs or are currently not doing much and don't want to join Wolfsburg so he still needs a, a little bit like Ralph Flagnick at Man United. He still needs to choose his staff, bring him over, bring them over. But um, yeah, Jörg Schmacker, the sporting director of Wolfsburg, just likes to cut his losses quite quickly, and that's what happened with Van Bommel. But it's a, it, they got lucky with the amount of available coaches at the moment who you'd probably want to speak German and fit into that squad. There aren't that many. They got very lucky that Kofeld was available. I like Kofeld a lot. Um, I like we did Verda that first season, obviously where he, he kept them up by the skin of their teeth, and then obviously it slightly started to go downhill. I thought he was a little bit harsh when he when he was sacked. He was working uh, against the odds, I would suggest, um, with that side. And, and look, there was a lot of people when he got appointed suggesting that that was a, a failing upwards in, in some senses. But I think that. Given you know what he was working with and and, and trying to make them into even a, you know a, a side that could survive in the Bundesliga, he, he was doing more than than perhaps he could. And look, we're seeing that right in the Zwei this year, and, and the Werder are, are just not great, even even now, even after that fire sale. So it's an interesting one, but I, I like him. I like what he brings to the side, and and look, the fact that they are even still in this Champions League race as we speak right now. Um, when this is released, that game will be happening tonight to see if they can qualify. That group is nuts, as Sam talked about the top. But um, it, they, it's they can crazy. finish top. They can't, they can't finish third. They can finish first, second or fourth. I've <laughs> never, I don't think I've ever seen that happen before where you just cannot go into the Europa League. Yeah, it's a straight shootout. Champions League knockouts or nothing. Um, look, it, it, obviously you want to get as far as possible in pretty much every competition, but I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world for Wolfsburg to have that reset and, and not have to worry about European competition in the second half of the season, especially with what you're saying about backroom staff and, and being able to get that turnover of personnel there as well. So, you know, it is an interesting one and and, and Kofel I like, and, but it, it did feel like Van Bommel was 
an odd fit at, at the time. And, and now it feels like they've moved towards someone who from with whom they can move forward, right? With, with whom they can build something potentially a little bit more long-term. And considering how mad the Bundesliga has been this, this season, there's no reason that the Wolfsburg with a good second half of the season can't kick right back on in until those Champions League places or at least the Europa League places for next year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's not even that far to make up the points. I mean, after they beat Dortmund, oh no, they didn't beat Dortmund. I was thinking about Leipzig. But when after Leipzig beat Dortmund, they moved quite near to the Champions League places. There's not that much in between points-wise at all. So yes, Wolfsburg can are the type of club that could go on to that run. Absolutely. Right. Well, there we have it. All of our five big Bundesliga questions, Jasmine, answered in in, in wonderful style. So what's really left for us to do is to say thank you so much for joining us and to get you to share with our listeners where they can find you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. And you can find my Twitter at Jasmine underscore BH1. I normally post for it if I do work elsewhere on the, if it's just tactical stuff from my word, WordPress. Oh, I said WordPress, which was very German. <laughs> You've um, gone very German on us. <laughs> WordPress. And um, also I have a monthly column on DW Sports sharing tactical stuff so you can just find everything from there perfect well jasmine thank you so much it's been a real pleasure thank you Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. And first and foremost, a massive thank you to Jasmine for her insight and expertise there on the Bundesliga. With that all said, Dean, it's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Jan Sommer, Matthias Ginter, Nico Elverdi, Rami Bensarabi, <laughs> Stefan Lehner, Dennis Zakaria, Kuehide, Quadio oh, no. Kone, Joseph Scali, Jonas Hoffman, Marcus Turam, and Alessandro Play. Every single player that was on the pitch for Borussia Mönchengladbach in the first half, as they were beaten 6 0 at home by Freiburg and were 6 0 down by half time. Like, that is oh. ridiculous. That does not happen. It top level football and if it does you'll get massive fines and you definitely get melons of the week so it's the first time I've given <laughs> 11 melons of the week in, in one hit um, they only subbed three of them they should have subbed all of them um, that is absolutely unheard of I mean 3-0 down in the first 12 minutes I don't listen Freiburg are having a good season they're fourth in the league but Gladback, if that's a decent lineup, I've just read out. They can't be yeah, six nil down at half time unless they're Liner actually and like player was subbed in the first half. It yeah. was it was brutal, right? Like one of those strange two I mean, subs on twenty nine minutes, like <laughs> unbelievable. They were the first, and Freiburg became the first side to score five goals away from home inside 25 minutes in Bundesliga history. They also became the second side ever to score five goals inside 25 minutes full stop. And the only team that had ever done that before were Borussia Mönchengladbach in October 1984. Oh, really? I didn't know that one. They've broken their own record as well. So, uh, I mean, it was just shambolic. And it was the fact that all of them came from set pieces, Dean. You're watching it going, surely just learn from your mistake. Four, Four of the six goals in the first half came from set pieces. It was... Like comical at best, and yeah. Melanish at worst. By the looks, <laughs> I mean they're not having a good season anyway. They're they're thirteenth. Um, that's not really where they would be expected to be at this stage of the season. I mean, it's a weird league because obviously you've got Leipzig down in eleventh and stuff as well. But listen, we've just have, had a German expert on and. Should have really got us to address this because that oh, is... We, we couldn't because Jasmine has a real soft spot for Borussia Mönchengladbach. I, I felt it was actually a little bit harsh to, uh, to ask her to, well, to talk go. about I've it. Well, 11 players there, so there you go. There you go. We have it. Right. Oh, why can't I make this noise anymore? That's the gibberish alarm, Sam. Over to you. Yeah, I've got to make sure the door is shut for this one and no one can overhear me because it is time to bust out the three things that Rach does that really, really annoys me. I won't whisper the whole thing, but just I'm in really case she's listening, she's, yeah. she's only just she's only uh, she's only she's only in the other room. But uh, yeah, there are certain things, of course, that the people you live with, no matter how much you love them, 
they are going to annoy you. And uh, there are three things that she does that um, kind of wind me up a little bit. Uh, I've moaned about them to you guys in, in the past, but it's, it's time to go public. It's time to go big. It's time to risk the marriage. Uh, and that number three, I think we go with, she turns all of the plugs off at the wall. And this is a problem <laughs> because I have, despite the fact that we've been together for a long, long time, uh, I'm yet to really anticipate this move. And I'll do things like I'll pop something on charge overnight, I'll plug it in and I'll come down the next morning and I need it to put it in my bag to go out for the day. But the plug was off at the wall and it never charged. So that could be a portable charger. That could be my laptop when I'm trying to take it into into, into the life score studio to go with you guys. Obviously, I need my laptop for that. It could be uh, the, the charger we've got behind the sofa where I pop my phone in. Nope, that's off at the wall as well. It just kind of happens quite a lot. And um, I feel like I'm, um, what's the word here? Not betrayed, but... Uh, she's setting traps for me and I'm falling into them every single time. I, I yeah, can't head, get head over first, the idea. The sounds of it. I, I can't get over this, 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 this turning off at the wall thing for something that is like just there the whole time. I understand if you want to turn like, I don't know, a speaker set off at the wall or something like that, but like a laptop charger, just, just leave it there. Like I need that all the time. Yeah. I mean, especially if the one, I mean, like obviously your sofa is up against the wall and therefore the, the, the plug that comes through it, the charger is put mm. there to make life easier so that you don't have to go and plug something in right behind the mm. wall. Yeah, And of course the plug is covered, it's covered by the sofa. So you can't see it. So like you yeah, wouldn't know until you've woken up the next day and gone, Oh, yeah, but more than that, like there's no point having that charger there for ease of access if you're going to have to plug it in at the wall anyway. That literally defeats <laughs> the entire object of having it there. It really does. Yeah, it really, really does. Yeah, I don't know what. I'm going to get you on the phone to Rach. Anyway, hang on. Wait, wait for these next two and then maybe we'll address them all as a three. The number two is um, she does like big batches, like multiple loads of clothes washes, which is fine, you know, one after the other after the other. But she often leaves my clothes for the final batch. So she prioritizes her own clothes, which again, I understand. But she uses up every single inch of the clothes horse for her own clothes and then puts mine in and goes, I've put your wash in, it's your clothes so you can handle it. And I go downstairs and there's no room to hang any of it up. I you just could feel, sort this again, out quite easily by I mean, just you buying your own washing. clothes horse. Yeah, exactly. no, I mean, I mean no, or just no, buy I your mean, own clothes horse. Buy another no, one. If you, clear, you don't have enough have, to do all your drying, just get another clothes have, horse and just put it in the so cupboard. More than happy to do my own clothes wash, but sometimes she does it out of the, quote, goodness of her own heart, but she obviously sets me up to fail. Um, and we have two clothes horses. I really don't think we need to get a third. Just do a bit less washing. It sounds, it sounds, like, it sounds like you do. It sounds uh, like it you is do. one of them a heated one. Is, have you got one of those electric heated ones? No, I've got one of them. It's quality. They are very yeah, good. They save a lot those. of time. Yeah, they're going to get a heated clothes horse, which save you a lot of time. Yeah, that's okay, it. there's well, your answer, is... Sam. Sorted that one out. Get yourself an electric heated clothes horse, and you can use it on the side. Yeah, She'll be I'm gutted, gutted, mate. When that comes through, and your yeah. your clothes are all hanging there, and then they're dry an hour later. Yeah, and she's not allowed Happy to use days. that. I'm going to put I'm going to put an electric <laughs> fence around it. Uh, she can't. Yeah, and, then, and then plug it in at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I see where that's going. Okay, right. Final right, thing. Number one. And, at, and at number one, it's that she puts stuff in my bedside table, like important stuff. She like finds something in the house that she knows that I will need or thinks I need or is important. And she'll go, oh, Sam will need that. I'll put it in his bedside table because that'll be good. I never check my bedside table, right? So I go months, months without finding anything that I need. And then she'll go, have you checked your bedside table? And I go, oh. And I go in there and there's so much stuff in there I need. It's absolutely maddening because obviously I sleep next to this thing every night. So my possessions are right there, but I never think to look. I never actually look into it. And like, again, just like, let's go into a little mini ranking of three things that I have found in my bedside table over the last six months that I thought I'd lost and had gone months without seeing. I found my sunglasses, right? My sunglasses, which I've been looking for for months, were in my bedside table. She'd stashed them away for me. Three iPhone charger cables. I just kept buying more. I thought they were gone. So I just kept buying more. <laughs> they were all, all of them were in my bedside table, all coiled up all neatly. Thanks, Rach, but not really. And then last of all, my favorite pen. My favorite pen, guys. I found Sam, it again I, now, I've obviously. Got, I've got to say, I've got to say to you, that there's a really easy solution to this. So just I've done it. I've taken your a solution. bedside table. <laughs> I've sellotaped it shut. <laughs> Why don't you just look in your bedside table? We it have our seem that hard, we, mate. We, uh, we, uh, I just—it's not in my makeup to just think. Oh, I'll check my bedside table because I never put stuff in there. So when I think, right, where is my stuff? I look. At, I look in places that I would put stuff. 
Um, that's things, just normal. This, the first one, I completely agree with you on, right? Like, I'm, I'm completely with you. The second one, I think you can just buy a clothes horse. And this one seems, I, I'd actually go and go so far to say that I'm on Rach's side here. Um, this is completely reasonable. And it also, it's not like, if you'd said here, Rach keeps moving my things and putting them in random places, I'd have been like, yeah, well, annoying. But like, she you literally have one spot. You have one spot. It's like a chest. You know, you know, you've left all your goods and all your loot in one chest. And every time you go to it, it's respawned with new stuff. This sounds like an advent calendar all the way around a year. I'm excited. I'd be excited. I mean, like, this is great vibes. Um, I'm with I mean, Rachel look, on this one, I'm afraid. I've brought it up with her and she says, look, you just need to you just need to look in your bedside table and you'll find everything Correct. you own. Like the and I again, theoretically, I'm with you, but it's just about habits. And I look for places, I look for my things in places where I might have left them. I don't tend to, I'm trying, I'm trying to change, but I so far haven't grasped the idea of looking in a place where somebody else may have left my stuff. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm with, um, I'm with Rachel on that one. Although I think I stand your plug with, I stand is with very Rachel. fair. I stand with Rachel. Yeah, I think me too. I mean, your well, first, first one's one- reasonable. Your second one's, your second one's edge. Your third one's wrong. Mate, <laughs> yeah, I, get, I'm, um, I am delighted to hear about this electric clothes source. Um, there you go. We've saved your I mean, life. This is this is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, would go. anybody anybody like to get me a Christmas gift? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll do a three way secret Santa. It's also tumble dryers. Have you got one of those? <laughs> you can't use that because it's also the it's the same as the washing machine and like oh, it's the same thing, uh, is it? Oh. Yeah. This so is the thing. When you have kids, sort of... you end up getting a separate tumble dryer. That is a game changer as well. There right. you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> On that bombshell, lads, I think we're going to call this a day. Um, and all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Sam Ty. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Uh, thank you so much to Jasmine Baba for joining us and talking Bundesliga. Make sure you go and follow her over on Twitter and check out all the stuff she's writing because it really is absolutely excellent. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Ranks FC podcast. Thank you so much for listening as ever and we will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.